Okay, so Nehemiah chapter Nehemiah chapter 12. So what we saw at the end of chapter at the end of chapter 6, they finished the walls around Jerusalem. So the book before Nehemiah was Ezra. This that that was about the building of the uh, temple, the rebuilding of the temple. Now we're going to uh, study uh, now in Nehemiah. It's about the rebuilding of the wall around Jerusalem, and the reason it had to be rebuilt was because that kingdom of Israel that started with Saul and then Saul was removed and and David, King David, was put in. Remember, Jesus Christ is called the Son of David. Uh, the, it lasted for about 350 years. Uh, there was a series of revivals, but kind of like in our country, there's revivals. There would then they would go down, and there, uh, there would they would they would go through a season and uh, of of depravity, and then they would go through a revival. But but so there was sort of a a slow downward spiral um, until the end. The Lord, after sending prophets, it says in the Word that He sent the prophets early um, until late, and they. Uh, warned and warned and warned and warned. I'm in the book of Ezekiel right now in my own study, just continually warning them. Uh, but they, we, we think we're smarter than God. And then eventually uh, the Babylonians came in and destroyed the city, uh, knocked down all the walls, burned the temple, destroyed all the houses, and, re and, and basically either killed the people or they brought prisoners back to Babylon. And so uh, after 70 years, just as prophesied by the, uh, the, prophet Nia, uh, the prophet Jeremiah, they returned to Jerusalem, first to build the temple in Ezra, and then in Nehemiah, they completed the walls around Jerusalem in 52 days, in the midst of all kinds of uh, physical and spiritual warfare. And so after the wall was built, there, what happens in, in chapters uh, 7, 8, 9, 7, 8, 9, and 7, 8, 9, is that the people dedicate themselves. So this is a big deal. Jerusalem is now uh, a city that, uh, the Jews can move in and be protected. They were sort of wide open to what their enemies uh, could. They were at the mercy of their enemies. Uh, th th they are now in a place where the, the city can um, really prosper. And, and it, it's a wonderful thing we saw in chapter 8. The people, not the priests or the Levites, the people asked for the word of God to be presented to them. And they they. They listen to the word of God really all day. They all begin to weep because they didn't realize that they were disobeying so much of it. Um, they begin to weep, but then the Levites and the priests come in, stop that. Uh, the joy of the Lord is your strength. You guys ha go have a big barbecue, and they did, and they stopped their weeping, and they had a big barbecue, a, a great celebration. And then in chapter 9, they continued their dedication of themselves, of their own person, and the Levites say the longest prayer 
in the Bible, and they recount the history of Israel, and at the, up to that point, I think one of the most important thing that they said was chapter 9, verse 33, where they said, everything that has befallen us, we brought on ourselves. It's so important that um, if, if people who you have wronged in the past, even though they should be forgiving you, but they continue to harass you, um, torment you, and, uh, and uh, attack you, it's still very important always to co go to the Lord and say, Lord, I did bring this on myself. Yes, they're paying me back 20 times for what I did to them, but it started with me. So important um, that we have that posture with that. And so uh, then uh, we see in chapter 10, they make a covenant so they're still dedicating themselves. What we're going to see today is they're going to dedicate the wall. But before they dedicate the wall, they're, they're, they're dedicating themselves. And so in chapter 10, they make a covenant in chapter 10, verse 29, to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord. And, uh, and then they get specific about a few of the commandments. We will not give our daughters and, um, as wives to the people of the land, meaning we're not going to uh, intermarry. We're not going to allow intermarriage, nor take their daughters for our sons. We're, we're going to obey the Sabbath. We're really going to honor the Lord on the Sabbath. Um, we're going to uh, bring the tithes and offering to make sure that the, the temple's taken care of, the Levites can teach, the singers can sing, and, and, and to keep up the, the spiritual strength of the land. And, and so they do this. They make this, uh, they, they make this covenant uh, before the Lord. And they even put their names on it, and they, and they seal it. Um, they, they seal the thing, and so they make this covenant. And so then, today we're in chapter 12, and cha the beginning of chapter 12, the first uh, 26 verses is kind of a technical thing. They just list all the priests that had come up when the, since the time of Zerubbabel, who was the first person to come back uh, with, um, with the, the high priest uh, Joshua, they just list all the priests and sort of their descendants up to that time. So about two or three generations of priests. It's just, you know, commentators will give different opinions about why it's here. It, it, it appears just to be, it was really important to just give a list here about the leadership and the importance of leadership uh, in the in the temple. You know, this last weekend we were at a men's retreat, and one of the closing charges of Pastor Darren, um, who was there, who was just absolutely phenomenal, was to to really ch uh, give a challenge to the men to be leaders to get up and lead, to, to, to leave the place of security and comfort and go lead. And so uh, this shows just the priority that Nehemiah gave to the fact that, listen, there needs to be established leadership. So then we come to uh, verse 27. Verse 27 says, is about the dedication of the wall. So now they've, they've first dedicated dedicated themselves as people, as men and, and, and women of God, and now they are going to dedicate the wall. 
So let's read. That was our long introduction. Let's read now, verse 27. It says, Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with gladness, both with thanksgiving and singing, with cymbals and stringed instruments and harps. And the sons of the singers gathered together from the countryside around Jerusalem from the village of the Netophathites, from the house of Gilgal, and from the fields of Geba and the As and Asmaveth, for the singers had built for themselves villages all around Jerusalem. So there were these villages where just musicians lived in the villages. Now, after co college, I hitched hitchhiked around Ireland for three weeks, and it was a, a wonderful trip. You want to get to know some place, just hitchhike around. I took my wife there on uh, on, on our honeymoon three uh, years after that, and boy, that was interesting. Uh, she had never done anything like so much of hitchhike one time in her life, and I said, yeah, let's go on a honeymoon. We'll save a little money. We'll go hitchhiking. Uh, and so uh, at the beginning, uh, she was really scared, but towards the end, a lot of times I wanted to walk, and she's like, forget that. She sticks her hand out, and, and you know, she doesn't want to walk. Um, but there's a village that so, so really interesting thing. To, I mean, you talk about, I kept a diary of this time. I was hitchhiking around Ireland. Just incredible things happen. People will pick you up. You wind up spending the night um, at their house. And um, so this, this, uh, this guy uh, picked me up, and then he went a little while, uh, um, and, and he, he picked a German guy up. And uh, so we were g going, and, and, and he said, hey, you know, you guys, do you want to... You guys feel like uh, spending the night at my house, and uh, and right then the German guy, <laughs> the German guy, um, I have German blood, so I, I have a little German blood, so I can tell the story. Um, this German guy goes, uh, "Can you let me out of the car, like right now?" And so he got out, and I just, and as soon as he got out, the the Irish guy goes, "Those Teutons, they're so regimented." Uh, and, and a Teuton as a German, but anyway, we proceed to go out to his um, uh, to go to his house, and he takes me to this place where um, uh, takes me to this uh, to place in the village uh, village where people just musicians gather from all around. It's this place called Doolin. You can look it up. To this day, it's the same thing. Uh, just musicians come from all over. They're playing their bagpipes. People are singing, and it was just like a weeknight. It was just a regular night, but that's what they do. That's what these, these, these Levites, singers, that's the same thing. There were villages. I just think it's like the coolest thing in the world. The, the, you'd go into these villages filled with musicians. There's music all the time. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, I think that's a really cool thing. That's what they had. And so uh, it, it, it says in verse 31, that remember, they're, so these, these singers, they come in um, to... They come into uh, uh, Jerusalem to dedicate the temple. All these singers, these musicians, uh, they come in and it says in verse 31, So I brought the leaders of Judah up on the wall and appointed two large thanksgiving choirs, 
when one went to the right hand on the wall towards the refuse, refuse gate. And then if you skip down to verse 38, the other Thanksgiving choir went the opposite way, and I was behind them with half the people. And, and so what happened, they, they had this huge choir. They divided the choir and the musicians in half, and one went one way in Jerusalem on the wall, on top of the wall, this huge choir. The other one went the other way, and then they sort of met in, uh, in the middle. Now, those of you who have a good memory may remember. Do you remember what the mockers were saying at the very beginning when they started the wall? Anyone remember? Anyone remember? Anyone, anyone, anyone. What did Tobiah the Ammonite say? He said, these Jews, thinking they could build a wall, will they revive these stones that have been burned? And then he says, whatever they build, if even a fox goes up on it, it will break down their stone wall. God has the last say, doesn't he? Now, this gigantic, hundreds of people are walking on this wall. They're having a parade on the wall. It's so wonderful to remember the promises of God and, and as we take um, faith in the promises of God, there will be victory. It says that Jesus Christ came to destroy the works of the devil, John chapter 3. And I'm just, I was thinking as I read this in Philippians, our study in Philippians, what did we read just a couple of weeks ago? Anyone remember that if we're at the cross, if God by His grace through the Holy Spirit gives us a, 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 a good appreciation of what happened at the cross, he, he, he groaned for you, He gasped for you, for air for you because He was suffocating on the cross. That's what happened to people who were crucified. He was naked for you. It was dark for you. He was separated from God uh, from you. He, just, he was covered in blood for you. We, 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 it says that, remember it says in, in, in Philippians 1.27, let your conduct be worthy of that scene. Do you guys remember? It's been two Sundays now. Do you guys remember the, the different things we listed out? You got a couple of them last week. Of conduct that is worthy of what happened on the cross for you? What was number one? Who remembers? In the book of Philippians. Oh, come on. What's that? <laughs> oh, oh, you guys are hurting my feelings. And, 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 and John and Andrew are back there uh, looking at the verses, trying to, 
uh, they're using their cheat sheet. Well, I guess you can, the Bible's not really a cheat sheet, so I guess they can do that. Remember, number one was there will be, uh, you stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the gospel. Remember, that was the first one. Unity. You'll be unity. You will love each other. But number two, does everyone num anyone remember number two? <laughs> What's that? That was number three. Very good, though. Wow, wow yes, Geo. Yeah. Well, well joy, joy in the suffering. Number two was verse 28. What was that? The, uh, kind of. You're right. It, 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 remember the verse, don't be terrified by your adversaries, meaning when people oppose you, because you know what happened on the cross, and that was all for you, all your sins were taken care of, and in place was the Holy Spirit, a life of joy and peace and rest that's available to you. When people start opposing you, you keep on living the gospel of Jesus Christ. You keep on living for him. You, you don't remain silent. You, you're faithful to the Lord. It says, don't be terrified by your adversaries. Philippians 1, 28. And, and we saw that happen, right? That, that in the beginning of Nehemiah, when they started the wall, they literally had, they were surrounded by their enemies. I think it was the Ammonites in the west, the Philistines in the east. No, no, the other way around. The, the Ammonites on the east, the Philistines on the um, in the west, in the north were the Sumerians, in the south were the Arabians, all coming against the building of the wall. But they were not terrified of their adversaries in the sense that by faith, I'm sure they had fear, but by faith they went ahead anyway. And here they are, walking on the wall that their enemies had just mocked them. Say, yeah, even a fox jumps up there, it's going to fall down. And so, uh, the, <laughs> just an incredible... Um, illustration there, uh, there of marching around a wall. It says in verse 43, also that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoice, for God had made them rejoice. Philippians 4.4, 4, rejoice in the, the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. That's what the book of Philippians from beginning to end, it's it's a, there's that theme of, uh, of joy, but that's a cool verse. It says, God made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoice, so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. God makes you rejoice. I was at the men's retreat last weekend, and on Saturday afternoon, we have about five hours um, off, and I, I wanted to go pray, and which I try to do each day, uh, and so I, I went to this mountain that uh, is very popular. The problem is the leaves are all in their best color, and the day was sunny, and in the middle of tourist season, and the mountain was crawling with tourists. And I, and I really like to go to places where I can just be alone with God and pray. 
And I'm like, Lord, how am I going to do this? It's like that there, there was all kind. I'd never seen as many cars. I'd been to this place a, a bunch of times. There's so many cars. It's a Saturday. And I said, well, I'm going to try. And so I, I go up and I take a different trail. And then, I, and then, there's, a, then there's literally a trail that, to, the, to the left that says Jesus Valley. I'm not kidding. It said Jesus Valley. I said, wow. So everyone was going up to the top of the mountain because at the top of the mountain it is pretty incredible. Uh, you, you can see for whatever, uh, many, many miles. But I said, no, I'm going to go to Jesus Valley. I'm, t I'm not kidding. I didn't see anyone for two hours. But I, I, it was just so incredible. And I'm like, Lord, you always show me how much you want to be with me. But the part that I wanted to share with you was after about an hour on this road, I, uh, it wasn't a road, it was a path. It was, I was, it, was, you know, it was in the woods, there was no one around, it was just me. I, all of a sudden, it broke into an opening and there was this unbelievable big pond. About maybe half the size, something like maybe half the size of Jamaica Pond or a third of the size, nestled into the mountain. On all sides, the trees are just all these colors. It's, it's sunny out. And I just had so much joy. I, I, I actually, I, I, I just began to weep. I, I, I literally was crying. I'm like, why do you do this all the time, Lord? This is just so incredible. And uh, he does. He makes you rejoice. He makes you rejoice. That's, uh, if, if, I'm telling you, if you follow the Lord and you walk in the Spirit, and, the, and, and, and that song says, that, that, lead me on and I will follow hard after you. If you follow hard after the Lord, He will bring you from a place of joy to a place of joy to a place of joy. He will. Now, it's a battle. I'm not going to say it's easy. It's not, uh, the life with Christ um, is hard but filled with blessing is what I um, often like to say. It says that he made them rejoice with great joy. The women and the children also rejoice so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard afar off. And at the same time, verse 44, some were appointed over the rooms of the storehouses for the offerings, the first fruits, the tithes, to gather in into them from the fields of the city the portion specified by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who ministered. Now that's an interesting verse, isn't it? They rejoiced over the priests and the Levites. That means they really, really appreciated the ministry that was being offered by the Levites and the priests. The Levites, all of them were son, descendants of Levi. He's one of the 12 sons of J Jacob. And it was appointed at that time, this is the Old Testament, of course, because now all of us are priests, the Bible says. Uh, we're priesthood of believers, the Bible says. But um, at that time in the Old Testament, only Le Levites could work in the temple and they were singers, they were teachers of the Word of God. It says they rejoiced over the priests and the Levites, meaning they really, really appreciated the people, the, the, the men who were teachers of the Word, the singers, the musicians, the people who helped 
slaughter the lambs, which were all a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ. And, and, and it just shows the spiritual temperature at this time was very high. There was a lot of spiritual health. When people have a, an appreciation for um, their pastors and their elders and the, the leaders of, of a church, uh, that is a really good sign. And so it says, verse 45, both the singers and the gatekeepers kept the charge of their, go of their God and the charge of the purification according to the command of David and Solomon his son. For in the days of, days of David and Asaph of old, there were chiefs of singers and songs of praise and thanksgiving to God. And in the days of Zerubbabel, and in the days of Nehemiah, all Israel gave the portions for the singers and the gatekeepers a portion for each day. In other words, they were giving them money so they could live, so they could minister, so they could do their job at the temple. So when you showed up at church, there was someone to, to minister there. They also consecrated the holy things for the Levites, and the Levites consecrated them for the children of Aaron. So chapter 13, now this is the last chapter of Nehemiah here. And so what it doesn't say here, you'll see it a few verses down, but after chapter 12, Nehemiah returns to King Artaxerxes in, in, in Persia, probably 500 miles away. Remember, at the very beginning of this book, he is hot. He's, he, he's a, um, a cupbearer for the king, meaning he, he was one who poured the king his wine, but he was also a counselor of the king. And remember, Nehemiah had heard about the state of affairs in Jerusalem, and he became so upset, he wept, and he, he asked permission. He showed up one day. He was all sad. Uh, the king said, why are you so sad? He goes, the city of my forefathers is in ruins. And the king said, okay, what do you want to do about it? He goes, I want to go back and I want to build the wall. And so he goes back, builds it. But of course, there's a promise that he's going to come back. And he did. So after, after chapter 12, he returned to the king. It's hard to find people like Nehemiah. This guy is one skilled administrator with a lot of guts. And boy, are you going to see his guts in this chapter. Oh, my. Be prepared to read about things you will read nowhere else in the Bible. Uh, and I'm not just saying that. You'll, you'll believe it when you see it. So he leaves, but then he comes back at the beginning of chapter 13. So it, we don't know how many years he was gone. We do know that he, at the first time he was in Jerusalem for 12 years, but he leaves. I don't know if it was one year, five years, or 10 years. My guess is it's probably been about five years, something like that. And he comes back. And this is why leadership, good leadership, strong leadership is so important. He comes back and things are not doing good. They're not doing well. Verse 1 says, on that day, they read from the book of Moses, meaning the first five books of the Old Testament, in the hearing of the people, and it was found written that no Ammonite or Moabite should ever come into the assembly of God. 
because they had not met with the children of Israel with bread and water, but hired Balaam against them to curse them. However, our God turned the curse into a blessing. And so if you read in Deuteronomy, it says that an Ammonite or Moabite is not allowed in the temple. Now remember, we're under the new covenant. The book of Hebrews says the new covenant under Jesus Christ is a better covenant. You don't have things like this in the new covenant. The Bible says that in Christ, there's neither man nor woman, men and women equal, Jew nor Greek. It says bar, bar, uh, barbarian, Scythian, it, it, it doesn't matter what you are, slave or free, everyone is equal in the sight of God. They're all in Christ allowed to participate communion and baptism and in, in the life of the church. It was a different, a, they were under a different covenant. The Ammonites and Moabites, when Israel was, had, a, had been delivered from slavery in Egypt, they were going into the promised land. They asked the Ammonites and Moabites, hey, can we like hang, can we like feed off of your vineyards and drink your water while we're on our way to Israel? And these guys, by the way, are distant relatives, the Ammonites and Moabites were. They were descendants of Lot. Lot was the nephew of Abraham. But the Ammonites and Moabites said no, and instead they hired an evil false prophet, Balaam, to curse them. But you may remember the story. Each time he tried to curse them, a blessing towards Israel came out of his mouth. That's in the book of Numbers. But the point is they started reading the law here in Nehemiah. And uh, again, Nehemiah had left for like five years or something like that. And he had come back. He found things in disorder. And chief among them was they were allowing Ammonites right inside the temple when the law said specifically they weren't allowed. Verse 3 says, So it was when they had heard the law that they separated all the mixed multitude from Israel. Now before this, Eliashib, the priest, having authority over the storerooms of the house of God, was allied with Tobiah. Now Tobiah was one of the people at the beginning of Nehemiah who fought tooth and nail. Is that the expression, tooth and nail? Am I getting it right? Against the building of the wall. Nehemiah goes for a few years. He comes back and Tobiah has moved into the temple. This Ammonite, this enemy who had never repented. And, and, and it says that... Um, uh, this, and, and not only that, it was a priest, a Jewish priest, who gave him this room. It says in verse 5, he had prepared a room for this guy, Tobiah, a large room where previously they had stored the grain offerings, the frankincense, the articles, the tithes of grain, the new wine and oil, which were commanded to be given to the Levites, the singers and gatekeepers, and the offerings for the priests. So, What's going on here is the spiritual life of the Israelites had declined greatly. People were no longer giving to the temple. So the room where they used to store 
the offerings that the people made was empty and they let Tobiah come in. And I guarantee you it was about money. I guarantee you. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. And, and somehow this guy is now living in the temple precinct. Verse 6, Nehemiah, this is, but during all this I was not in Jerusalem for in the 32nd year of Artaxerxes, king of Babylon, I had returned to the king. Then after certain days I obtained leave from the king and I came to Jerusalem and discovered the evil that Eliashib had done for Tobiah in preparing a room for him in the courts of the house of God and it grieved me bitterly. Therefore, I threw all the household goods of Tobiah out of the room. I commanded them to cleanse the rooms. I brought back into them the articles of the house of God with the grain offerings and the frankincense. So he goes in personally and throws out all the possessions of this guy, Tobiah. He throws them out. I mean, th th this guy, uh, you know, he's a man. Uh, I mean, and, but this he's only begun uh, here. Uh, and, and you can just imagine people are like, there's a, you know, when there's a godly man like this, there's like a fear that God puts on other people. They're not going to mess with this guy, Nehemiah. They're not going to mess with him. He chucks out all the guy's furniture, his uh, whatever, his stove, his uh, dining room table, everything. He throws it out of the temple. And it says, and it grieved me bitterly. You know, it's so, and so, so important that we are zealous for God's church. That we have a zeal for the church of God. That we go in, if we go into a church and, and we see something unseemly, something that's evil, something that shouldn't be taken place, that we weep before the Lord about it and we try to do whatever is in our power to fix it. If there's sin inside of a church, or if there are you know, different things that are, are going on that are, that are just wrong, we, it's so important that we, we do something about it. It says in verse 10, I also realized that the portions for the Levites had not been given them. For each of the Levites and the singers who did the work had gone back to the field. So whatever, five or ten years earlier, it says the people were rejoicing over the singers and the Levites who were teaching the Word of God. But the people stopped tithing. I'll tell you, when the people stop giving sacrificially to the church, we are in big trouble. As we talked about last week, nothing more important on the face of the earth than the local church. What, oh, what the church does. And, and you know, I, the, the role that the church has, the more I study it, the more amazed I am of 
just the just the role that the church has in the world. We're brothers and sisters. We're doing the most important thing in the whole world. And I know I talked about this last week, but if you just go through all the verses about the importance of the church, 2 Corinthians 8.23 says, the church is the glory of Christ. Ephesians 1.23 says, the church is the body of Jesus Christ, the fullness of Jesus who fills all in all. Ephesians 3.20 says, to God be the glory in the church by Christ Jesus. The church is repeatedly called the church of God, Galatians 1.13. The church is called in 1 Corinthians 13, God's field. And in, in Ephesians 3, verses 9 and 10, it actually says that the church makes known to the principalities and powers in heavenly places. This is talking about demons and, and good angels. It makes known to them the manifold, the wonderful wisdom of God. Something goes on at church that is a witness to the devil. And I can go on and on and on and on. And what has happened here? They, they quit giving to the church. The very thing that the Lord has, has put on planet earth in order to see his glory, to, 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 to advance the kingdom of God, um, it says... They went back to their own field, meaning they went back to their jobs. Now, I'm prepared to go back to my job if we ever don't have enough money to support me. I am. But that is an ominous sign. That would be an ominous sign if, if, if that were to take place. Because it's so important to have pastors at Calvary Chapel, almost every Calvary Chapel begins with the pastor working a regular job and also being a pastor. But as the church grows, the pastor goes full time. Believe me, there is so much work that needs to be done. The church that you people would be neglected if that were to happen, if I had to go back to my job. This says they went back to their jobs because the people stopped supporting them. And verse 11 says, So I contended with the rulers. Why is the house of God forsaken? And I gather them together and set them in their place. Verse 12, Then all Judah brought the tithe of the grain and the new wine and the oil to the storehouse. So to their credit, he rebukes them, and so they start bringing the money back <laughs> to support the Levites, the teachers of the word, the, the singers. They bring it back. It says, I appointed uh, treasures, verse 13. Um, uh, and, and so they gathered back the Levites to start doing work. And then it says in verse 14, Remember me, O my God, concerning this, and do not wipe out my good deeds that I have done for the house of my God and for its services. So he's going to repeat this several times. Several times he's going to go, it's again in verse 22, Remember me, O God, concerning the things that I'm doing for you. Um, he, he, he says it in verse 29, and the book ends, remember me, O God, for the good that I did. Now, a lot of people read this, and they say, 
you know, who is this guy? How selfish can you get? Uh, you know, he's like, hey, remember all this stuff I'm doing and reward uh, me for it. But what people who criticize Nehemiah are failing to recognize, he's on his own now. And he's like, can you imagine, can you imagine that just being on your own, you, you're, you're getting everyone mad, everyone upset, you're taking a night walk when no one knows about you, and you're overhearing conversations about you and how much people hate your guts because, you know, oh, that guy, he's so religious, he's a religious prude, look what he's making us do. He's on his own, and he's just crying out to the Lord it, because he's desperate before God, so much to learn from prayer in the book of Nehemiah, and he's just saying, remember me, God, please remember me. This is so hard what I'm doing. I think it's beautiful myself. Uh, what he when he cries out like this, and so number one, they were letting Ammonites in the temple. N number two, they stopped giving to the work of the Lord, and then the third one is going to be the Sabbath. In those days, verse fifteen, I saw people in Judah treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing in sheaves, and loading donkeys with wine, grapes, figs, and all kinds of burdens, which they brought into Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. And I warned them about the day on which they were selling provisions. Now, when the Jews were delivered from Egypt, so while the Jews were in Egypt, they were slaves, and they did not have a weekend. They worked seven days a week. God gave them the Sabbath as a gift. The Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. It was made by God. It was given to them. Look, you, you work six days. On the seventh day, you do not work. Nehemiah leaves for five years or something like that. He comes back, and all of a sudden on the Sabbath day, he sees all this work being done. He sees markets, people selling, and, and, and they had been specifically told that in one of the Ten Commandments, you get to obey the Sabbath. You've got to worship God on the Sabbath. You need to rest on the Sabbath. And, and he starts dealing with that. Verse 16 says, Men of Tyre dwelt there also who brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the children of Judah. And so the, Tyre is an ocean city, a city right on the ocean. They were bringing down fish. Uh, verse 17, Then I contended with the nobles of Judah and said to them, what evil thing is this that you do by which you profane the, the Sabbath? He's, why is he rebuking the nobles? Anyone want to shout it out? Why is he um, rebuking the rich people of the city? I want to make sure you guys on this Halloween night are paying attention. Why is he rebuking the rich people? In verse 17. For, for all that was going on on the Sabbath. Exactly. Money, money, money. Do you know how many people over the years, so I can't go to church anymore because uh, they're paying double overtime uh, on, on Sunday morning and, you know, I could really use a, a few extra bucks. You're just showing who you worship there. You worship money. I'm not talking about a, a, an emergency situation or someone uh, who finds himself in, in a crisis, but uh, the, it, it 
they're rebuking the nobles because the nobles, the princes, were the ones profiting and encouraging this behavior. And so here's this guy. He's going to all the rich people. He's not afraid of anyone. Can I just tell you tonight, on this best sermon I've ever preached in my life, you're going to be on your own sometimes. There's going to be other Christians who call themselves Christians around you, and they're just going to be lame in their walk with the Lord. It's only going to be you. That day is going to come. Just because Christians or people who call themselves Christians are around you doing this and that doesn't mean you do it. And, and sometimes like bad stuff will be happening, and there's people around you who call themselves Christians. They're not doing anything about it. Well, you do something about it. That's what we learn from the book of Nehemiah. So he's, he's, he's going to the most powerful people in the city. I mean, this is, a, this is a powerful book. It flat out is. This man of God. He's going to the most powerful people in the city, and, and, and he's rebuking them. Verse 18, did not, our, did not your fathers do this? And did not our God bring all this disaster on us in the city? One of the reasons they were kicked out of Jerusalem was because they did not obey the Sabbath year. And so in verse 19, he says, so it was all the gates of Jerusalem um, as it began to be dark before the Sabbath, I, I commanded that the gates be shut. So he just comes in, he takes over. He shuts the gates of the city. He doesn't let the merchants come in with all their, um, all their stuff to sell. Uh, and then it says in verse 20, Now the merchants and sellers of all kinds of wares lodged outside Jerusalem once or twice. So I warned them, Why do you spend the night around the wall? If you do so again, I will lay hands on you. So you guys thought that that expression, oh, she laid hands on me, was made up in the hood. You are wrong. It's Nehemiah chapter 13 is where that began. That, that expression. So here's this guy. Now he's talking to people who aren't even Jewish. And he's going out and he says, I'm going to lay my hands on you. If you guys don't get out, he is zealous for the Lord here. So next one, intermarriage. It says, I commanded the Levites that, that they should uh, cleanse themselves and that they should go and, um, and, and guard the gates to sanctify the Sabbath. Remember me, O God, concerning, the, concerning this also, and spare me according to the greatness of your mercy. Verse 23, in those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, which were Philistines, Ammon and Moab, so that they had started to intermarry. Now this was, remember in the previous chapter, these were the very things that they swore solemnly not to do. And so we talked last week, I never advise anyone to make commitments. Oh, I'm never going to do this sin again. I, I, I'm never going to dr you know, get drunk again. I'm, I'm, I'm never going to uh, smoke weed again. I'm never going to commit it. I, I never advise people to do that because our flesh gets involved. Our pride gets involved, and we wind up making commitments that we wind up breaking because we did it in the strength of our flesh. It is so much better just to say, to wake up in the morning and pray and say, Lord, today, with your help, I'm going to walk with you. 
Jesus says sufficient is, 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 of the day is its own trouble. There's enough issues in one day. We don't have to be making commitments about tomorrow. But, but I have found the wisest thing to do is just not, don't even make commitments about tomorrow. Tomorrow I'm not going to smoke cigarettes. No, don't do that. So today I'm not going to smoke cigarettes. I was in bondage to them for too many years. I'm, so I'm not going to do it today. With your help, Lord, I'm going to do it. Because here, within whatever amount of time this is, one year, five years, ten years, they're breaking all the promises that they previously made. And they've taken out, um, you know, here, this next thing that they violated, they intermarried. So here it goes, 25. Are you guys ready? Verse 25. Is everyone ready? Raise your hand if you're ready to read this verse. Are you ready? Are you ready to read this verse, Usagi? Okay. Verse so I contended with them and cursed them, struck some of them, and pulled out their hair. Now, do you guys give me permission to do that? Can I have your permission to, to pull out your hair when you, um, when you sin? Okay, finally, someone said no. Yeah, I mean, we... we yeah, that, 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 that's good, I, so I won't, you know. I contended with them, cursed them, struck them, some of them, and pulled out their hair. Oh, my. I will remind you that we're under a new covenant. And that Jesus commands us that since he lives inside of us, we are to be like him. He assigns only two adjectives to himself in the New Testament, lowly and gentle. It says in 2 Timothy, the servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle to all, able to teach, patient, in humility correcting those who are in opposition, if God perhaps will grant them repentance so that they may know the truth and that they may, may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive to do as well. So that's how we get the job done. With gentleness. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1 says, I beg you, Christians, to walk worthy of the calling to which you were called with all lowliness, gentleness, and long-suffering." The Bible says, Paul says, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal. The weapons of our warfare are prayer, our gentleness, and, and love. Uh, but this, different things were going on at this time. So Nehemiah is physically dealing with these people. Verse 26, did not Solomon, king of uh, Israel, sin by all these things? Yet among them nations were, there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even Solomon to sin. So Solomon, with all his wealth, all his wisdom, the Bible says of Solomon, God loved Solomon. It says that at the beginning of his reign. Even Solomon was caused to sin, actually wound up doing child sacrifice, because of of marrying women who they didn't care about the law. They didn't care about Jehovah. They didn't care about the Bible. And he was drawn into 
sin. Verse 27, should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against our God by marrying pagan women? And, 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 and then uh, one of the priests, he, uh, what, someone related to a priest, he had done it too. Um, again, this uh, was a son-in-law of Sambalat, the Horonite, Horonite that one of the, uh, e, the people who had come so severely against Nehemiah and the building of the temple. It says at the end of verse 28, therefore I drove him out. And then again, we hear this prayer, remember them, oh my God, because they have defiled the priesthood and the covenant of the priesthood and the Levites. Thus I cleanse them of everything pagan. I also assign duties to the priests and the Levites, each to his service, and to bringing the wood offerings and the first fruits of, at appointed times. And then he ends the book by saying, Remember me, O my God, for my good. You know, sometimes it's just going to be you and God, you crying out to God. Sometimes that's all it's going to be. And you know that there's a beauty in that and there's a power in that. It's a lonely place to be. But, you know, here you have it. Just the zeal of Nehemiah, a great example in so many ways. No, we don't pull people's beards out because we're under a new and a better covenant. We let the Lord is so much better at pulling beards out than, than I am. He can pull someone's beard out. Uh, and he gets the job done. He does. But what I love about this book is just the example we have in Nehemiah that really sometimes you're going to be in a place where God wants to use you as light and as salt be salt and light, light and salt. Jesus says you're the light of the world. Jesus says you're the salt of the world. Salt is what preserves. And so what an example we have. And we have something that Nehemiah didn't have. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. To encourage us, to give us joy. We don't, in a sense, we don't, it says, it says that God made them joyful, but we have a God, the Bible says that God is, teaches us that God is exceedingly joyful at all times, and he lives inside of us. So as we seek the joy of the Lord, we will find it. Jesus in John 15, right before he was crucified, said, all these things I share with you so that you can have my joy and that your joy would be full. And so the message of Nehemiah, which, which we, with the most famous verse in Nehemiah, the joy of the Lord is your strength. That joy is found in pursuing hard after the Lord. 